0: This season of DDX is brought to you by UltraGenics Pharmaceutical Corporation. The year is 1983. A baby is about to be born at a hospital in Reading, Pennsylvania. Doctors say the child has a severe form of dwarfism and is unlikely to survive. But this baby defies all odds. Despite being born breech with broken legs... Doctors rescind their earlier diagnosis. She's normal length and weight, a healthy baby girl. The parents are elated. But there's something vital that doctors don't see. The whites of this baby's eyes are a grayish blue, her broken femur bones are bowed and shortened, and her head is slightly larger than normal. These symptoms point to a rare disease that will become a lifelong condition. This baby is our patient. And in 29 years, she'll be our doctor. This is DDX, a podcast from Figure One about how doctors think. This season is all about rare diseases. I'm Dr. Raj Bardwaj. Today's case comes from Dr. Pamela Smith, a pediatric endocrinologist working at the Phoenix Children's Hospital in Arizona, specializing in metabolic and genetic bone disorders. Dr. Smith has been compensated by figure one for her participation in this episode. Two months after our patient was born, signs started to point to something being terribly wrong. I was
1: inconsolable one evening And my mom went into my room and went into the crib, and one half of my body was flailing and normal newborn kind of crying, and the other side of my body was limp. And my mom was terrified and thought, oh my gosh, I don't know if she's had a stroke or what has happened.
0: The family rushed the baby to their local community hospital, where care providers identified a broken arm and a broken leg.
1: And my parents were terrified because they thought, how would their two-month-old have a broken arm and a broken leg? They were very afraid they'd be accused of child abuse because they couldn't think of other reasons why I would have a broken arm and a broken leg at that age. And they were sure that they would go to jail.
0: Luckily, an orthopedic surgeon was on call in the ER that evening.
1: And thankfully, he was familiar with osteogenesis imperfecta, or OI for short. And he said, I I think she has this bone disease. And from there, it, it just became my formal diagnosis.
0: Osteogenesis imperfecta, or OI, is also known as brittle bone disease. It's a genetic disorder characterized by fragile bones that fracture easily. If OI is not detected in utero with genetic testing, or symptoms are relatively mild, they can be easily missed. But remember, our patient was born in 1983. In utero genetic testing for OI wasn't a thing. More prominent signs of OI can be misdiagnosed as rickets, dwarfism, or skeletal dysplasia. So far, more than 16 types of OI have been identified but it's a complex condition that is constantly evolving. There's no cure for osteogenesis imperfecta, but some treatments may prevent bone deformities and fractures. For our patient, growing up in the early 80s, it didn't leave her with a lot of options.
1: Mostly everything was surgical or orthopedic, and it was reactive. Oftentimes, rather than proactive, especially in a really small baby You know, back then there weren't really any medications used for OI. There were no bone strengthening medications really used. So a lot of my medical management was fracture care. I was fracturing both legs frequently. I couldn't pull the stand. I would break my legs when I would try. Like, I had over 200 broken bones through childhood. So they knew it had to be on the more severe side of things.
0: Our patient underwent rotting surgery. That's when a metal rod is implanted to reinforce fragile bones. But doctors still struggled to categorize her OI.
1: It was kind of, oh, it's, maybe it's this disorder, or maybe it's that disorder. There was no genetic testing. I was probably eight, eight years old till they decided to try to get more formal typing of my disease. My collagen was looked at through skin biopsy and they diagnosed me type 3-4. So not quite 3 and not quite 4.
0: But even with a more precise diagnosis, treatment was still limited.
1: When I was in grade school, at that point I had been diagnosed with type 3-4-OI and bisphosphonates had come onto the scene around that time.
0: Bisphosphonates work to slow down bone loss, increase bone density, and reduce the risk of fractures. They're now standard of care when it comes to treating OI, even in infants.
1: But at that point, it was very early in research and kind of research-based treatment. So initially, my mom would have had to take me to Montreal, Canada to receive bisphosphonate therapy. My mother looked into that, and that was just not an option for her situation. So I did miss kind of a window where bisphosphonates were coming onto the scene while I was growing. Medical treatment in growth is so important.
0: Our patients still faced huge physical challenges, but her life underwent a drastic shift when she discovered her passion for medicine.
1: I don't have the classic story. I've always wanted to be a doctor since I was a little girl, because when I was a little girl, I didn't think I could be a doctor. So I put that out of my mind. This is not an option. Like, I could, I didn't even think about it.
0: So she settled on a degree in fine art. But during one class, everything changed.
1: I was in anatomy class. My instructor was a medical doctor. And I just loved medicine. I loved anatomy. And I was really getting into it. And my instructor asked me to become a peer tutor. And one day, I was sitting with a student. And she goes have you thought about medical school? And I was like, what? And I really was thinking, are you crazy? <laughs> like, you, you see me in my wheelchair. <laughs> How would I do medical school? Like, I just couldn't fathom that. I had never met another medical provider with, with a disability. So to me, this was like preposterous. And I went home and I looked it up online and there was actually a community like a support group online for physicians with disabilities. Uh, I was like, oh my gosh, this is a thing. Like, people can do this. So my mind was blown, and I went to, you know, college the next day, I went to my class, and I approached my anatomy instructor, who was a medical doctor, and I said, and I was, like, so terrified, and I thought, she's probably going to laugh at me. But I said, what, what, what do you think about, like, could I go to medical school? And she was like, yeah, why not?
0: When our patient was a fellow in pediatric endocrinology, she finally got genetic testing, which told her more about the type of OI she had. She learned that what she had was a result of a spontaneous mutation, not something that was inherited from her parents. This information didn't affect her treatment, but perhaps someday when more is known about her specific type of OI, it will.
1: What I knew it just changes the story. And maybe it will change down the road, something, because maybe if you have a dominant mutation in Colt1A2, this therapy will be available. So my whole life I thought I had this recessive gene. My family thought that, and then I had gene testing, and I have a dominant mutation, which is often spontaneous, meaning maybe, maybe my parents did not carry... Because if they did carry it, they would have it. I felt sad for my family because I think there was a lot of guilt around what they were told, that they carried this gene.
0: As a physician with osteogenesis imperfecta, who treats patients with the condition, Dr. Smith has watched treatment improve.
1: Compared to 30 years ago, it was kind of slowly changing. But I feel like it's become this snowball where... Treatment options and technologies have just expanded care so much. It seems with time that we're heading toward researching medicines that build bone rather than stop bone breakdown.
0: Dr. Smith's special connection with her patients allows her to see things that many doctors treating patients with OI might miss.
1: I think we're quick to see skeletal malformation and disability rather than what that person's potential is and the other challenges they might have that we don't realize. You know, psychosocial um, function, pain, sometimes pain is overlooked, independence, peers. There's just so much that plays a role into the person and their well-being. There's also more that needs to be cared for. Children with OI are at risk of some heart cardiac, some pulmonary, And then just remembering they still need regular care, routine care. You know, they still need the the routine screening and the labs and the physical exams by a primary doctor. So it is easy to forget the standard of care things when we're so kind of overwhelmed with the primary disorder.
0: Dr. Smith also has wisdom for parents and caregivers of those with osteogenesis imperfecta.
1: It can be very overwhelming. But you have to be your own best advocate and your child's best advocate. And the only way you're going to do that is by finding resources that are reliable for your own advocacy and for expectations, what you should expect from your medical provider, what you should be asking about, questions. I think it's important. Some families can be very overwhelmed and just kind of turn a blind eye to everything in the community, but reach out and just stay involved and stay on top of what's going on and don't disconnect.
0: Thanks to Dr. Pamela Smith for speaking with us. This is DDX, a podcast by Figure One. Figure One is an app that lets doctors share clinical images and knowledge about difficult to diagnose cases. I'm Dr. Raj Bardwaj, host and story editor of DDX you can follow me on Twitter at RajBardwajMD. Head over to figureone.com slash DDX, where you can find full show notes, photos, and speaker bios. This episode was brought to you by UltraGenics Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Thanks for listening.